WGNS Murfreesboro, W270AF Murfreesboro, W263AI Murfreesboro, Smyrna. The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is a WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. Right now that time, 8-12, you're tuned to WGNS on this Monday morning. And our guest right now, Dr. John Vile, political science professor and dean of the University of Honors College at MTSU. Also the constitutional history expert with the Free Speech Center at MTSU. How are you this morning? Doing great. That's a lot of title to get out of the way. Yes, it is. <laughs> Don't pay too much attention to it. <laughs> Nobody in my family does. <laughs> so what, what is the Free Speech Center, first of all, at MTSU? Tell us about that. Well, that's basically out of the mass media and entertainment. Uh, Dr. Paulson, or Ken Paulson, who was the former dean over there, is in charge of that. Uh, several years back, I co-edited an encyclopedia of the First Amendment and the university has purchased that and it is now online. There are probably close to 2,000 uh, entries wow. and anytime there's a new Supreme Court decision or uh, something related to the First Amendment, we try to have it on there and I believe we get 20-40,000 hits a day. Wow. Uh, a lot from you know school students and people doing research. So it's a great resource. That That's pretty wild. Now you have recently published two books, The Drama of Presidential mm-hmm. Inaugurations and inaugural addresses from Washington through Biden. So first of all, that book, that sounds interesting. Well, it is. Um, the The big disappointment is that I don't actually have uh, the inaugural addresses in there, but they're, they're pretty accessible. And what I've tried to do is give sort of a summary, well, in addition to describing each inauguration and what surrounded it, uh, also to provide a summary of the highlights of the speeches. And many of them are fairly routine. Uh, but there are a fair number, uh, you know, Washington, Lincoln, uh, Reagan, uh, Roosevelt, that have, have risen to, a, you know, sort of the top level of, of American rhetoric. And of course, the last inauguration was a, maybe a little too exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Came in the aftermath of January 6th, so hopefully we won't have any repeats uh, of that. But, you know, certainly it's a fascinating event. Again, Dr. John Vile with us this morning. I, you know, I, I guess when you think about presidential addresses, the inauguration, all of that stuff, I, I can just imagine the pressure that is on that new president to give this perfect, inspiring speech. It, it's got to be very stressful. It is. And, you know, one of the fascinating things was the, and now I'm going to f- escape her, her name, but uh, the young lady who wrote the po- uh, uh, read her poem this year. Uh, the Youth Nobel Laureate, I believe it was, not Nobel Laureate, but the Youth Poet, uh, we later found out that she was terrified, mostly because of the violence that, had, you know, two weeks before had taken place there, but she nonetheless got out and gave, you know, gave a great, did, did a great job with it. Are, are there reports of that new president coming in <laughs> and their family being worried or upset or irritated or, or what happens in those atmospheres? Well, you know, one of the reports that's come out actually since the inauguration is that uh, Michelle Obama uh, apparently broke down in tears, you know, shortly after. And I think it was just, you know, the 
all the concerns about safety there and, and that sort of thing. It's got to be exciting too, though. You know, you're you're the president. Yes, I, I can't imagine. Well, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's one of those pivotal moments. You, you know, just as individuals have sort of high points in their life. You know, birth, marriage, baptism. Uh, those sort of things. The inauguration is much the same, you know, elections, inaugurations, each four years, you know, we go through that routine. Uh, so it's it, it's it's very important in shaping, shaping our self-understanding. You know, America is such a unique country compared to all the other countries out there. Yeah. And that history of freedom is something that a lot of countries don't have, even though some of those countries may be free today in a lot of ways it's not the same as what we see in america and, and i think you know that was one of the things that was so uh, so disturbing uh, about january 6 is we've had now there have been contested elections particularly in 1896 actually the election of 1800 uh, was probably the last time that there was any potential violence threatened that you know if jefferson were not elected there some of the state militias we're going to be organized, but uh, but yeah, to have over 200 years of peaceful transfer of power uh, is 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 a laudable record. Another book that you uh, recently published was *The Bald Eagle and Its Legacy*, an encyclopedia mm-hmm. of a high-flying American icon in U.S. history, nature, law, and culture. Tell us about that. Well, it's part of a series. It's not published as part of a series, but I have been on, for the past several years, I have been examining American symbols. I wrote an encyclopedia on uh, the U.S. flag. I did one on the Declaration of Independence, one on the National Anthem, one on the Liberty Bell. Um, and the one the one that was left that I didn't think there was something equivalent already published was the Bald Eagle. Um, and of course, I'm approaching it primarily from a historical and cultural uh, standpoint. I don't know that much about the biologies of eagles, uh, although I've learned a little bit uh, a- along the way. Eagle cams are very, very popular right now, so you can you can actually do some observation without a- actually have to having to go to a forest to do it. <laughs> hey, of course, we've got uh, eagles at Long Hunter State Park. I know that's a location yes. where a lot of folks go to see them. But uh, and you know, Dollywood too. I didn't uh, know that. She, well, she has. A, I don't know if it's part of Dollywood or connected with it. But she has a like an eagle recovery center, uh, and they also you know show them to tourists there. You know, rarely do folks have a chance to actually see an eagle. You just don't see a lot of them. Well, see a lot more of them now than you would have you know forty years ago. There was a time that, and that's one of the things about the eagle as a symbol. It's partly become an environmental symbol because it has been one of those areas where by eliminating DDT and uh, other uh, other measures that have been taken, we've been relatively successful in restoring them to much of their original native habitat. For for years, uh, the state of Alaska uh, offered bounties on eagles, and they killed literally hundreds of thousands. And now they're realizing, hey, this is a real tourist draw, uh, as well as you know being good for the environment in general. And eagles are one of those few birds that they're they're pretty intense. By nature, I mean they're hunters. They, they are, and you know there, there's a sort of a rule in heraldry 
that when you when you take a symbol, you take it for the best parts, not for the worst. So, you know, we, hopefully the, the eagle is not a symbol of the United States because we want to be a predatory nation, but it's because we have high aspirations. We're high flyers. Uh, we're powerful. You know, we try to defend our young, those kind of things. So in the book, does it actually go back to the roots of, you know, how the eagle was chosen to, to represent America? <laughs> you know, th- 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 yes, uh, in some, in, in, in part. One of the fascinating things about the eagle is that there's a story out there that uh, Benjamin Franklin actually preferred the turkey. And you, you imagine the turkey on top of a flagpole. It's, it's Thank a little goodness funny. that didn't happen. Right. <laughs> but he actually, it, it, the story is overdrawn. He wrote a satirical letter, and he was great at satire, to uh, one of his relatives. Uh, and he, it was actually a put-down of the Society of Cincinnatus, which was the Civil War, I'm sorry, Civil War, the Revolutionary War veterans, and they were going to make it into a hereditary society to be uh, symbolized by an eagle. And he didn't think a hereditary society was appropriate in the United States. So he wasn't downing the eagle so much as he was trying to knock some sense into this society of Cincinnati. A lot of things have transpired over those years since that time period. And I'm, I'm curious, did you find that that eagle representation is still relevant today? Well, again, one of the things that makes it relevant is that it has become a symbol of environmental restoration. Um, but, you know, also, I mean, we, we do associate the eagle with protecting its young. And, and, again, you look for the good qualities in a symbol like that, not, you know, not that it's a scavenger or a predator or, or whatever. Again, Dr. John Vile with us today. I think over the years and over time, you know, symbols take on new meanings as we grow as a nation or as, you know, whatever that symbol represents grows over time. But I do think symbols take on new meaning, and and that's exactly what you're saying. Absolutely. So tell us, I guess, more about some of your research and uh, also the research in to the inauguration speeches because you had to have done a lot of research on both (laughs) you you do and and one of the fascinating things well with the eagle i had the advantage that i had written on other american symbols so i sort of knew how to go about it that way and it's this one is an encyclopedic form so you can you can research one topic at a time um but in the inauguration book part of it of course was just making sure that i read each inaugural address and there's one of them, William Henry Harrison, if I recall correctly, that's like thirty to 40,000 words. <laughs> Most of them, like John Kennedy's, the ones that stand out tend to be much shorter. Um, but each of them give you a, a little snapshot of what's going on in American history at that time. You learn a little bit about the political party composition, you know, who, who the supporters and opponents of the candidates were it's pretty fascinating no you're no stranger to writing i mean no. you've written <laughs> hundreds of articles and papers and so forth but what drives you behind that i like to write uh, I, f- I feel good when i when i write uh, i like to share you know i'm not as much as as honors dean have the privilege of sitting in on a lot of theses uh, but because of my other responsibilities i'm not in the classroom as much and one of the beauties of writing is you, your classroom, it's not quite the world, um, but, you know, there's students, students all over the country who read my works and hopefully profit from them. 
And so these books, do some of them make it into different college classrooms around the country? And, and what do others, what do other right. professors say? Most of the books like the two that I've just authored are more sort of reference. Uh, but I have, uh, I have a book called A Companion to the U.S. Constitution and its Amendments, which is now in its seventh, its seventh edition. It's used in, in classrooms. I have another on essential Supreme Court decisions, which are revised every three or four years. Uh, and it summarizes leading cases from, you know, John Marshall to, to the present. So, and I have another book or two that is occasionally adopted for classroom use, but these are primarily reference books. You know, I'm, I'm curious, I'm sitting here thinking about these two latest books and what they mean and, and how they tell a little bit of the history of America. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard from political leaders in other countries who said, you know, I, I read your book or this book or that book that you wrote so that I could kind of get a better idea of whom I'm going to meet with in, in U.S., in the U.S.? No, I can't say that I have. I, um, the, the closest I've come is uh, just within the United States. Uh, l- last week I was on national public radio and I had a couple students from four, one actually from 40 years ago who called and said, Hey, I recognize your voice when to met, you know, wanted to touch base with you. Uh, I also like, you know, I like to write newspaper articles and that sort of thing. And so occasionally you get some responses from them. So how long ago did you actually start that career in, in teaching? Oh, uh, I don't know if I want to confess that or not. <laughs> in 1977. So you uh, you've seen a lot of change in the education system I as have. a whole. I have, and you know I'm I'm really honored to be at at the Honors College. Uh, we think we have some of the best students, you know, not only at MTSU but really in the state. We've had, you know, students go on to uh, Harvard Medical School. We've had students go to University of Chicago Law School. Um, Boston, uh, Vanderbilt, uh, places all over the all over the United States, and increasingly we've had students getting uh, getting national and international grants like Fulbright's and Gilman's and and others. While you may not have as much interaction with students in classrooms as you once did, how prepared do you think you are, or how prepared do you think students are coming into that college classroom for the first time today versus twenty years ago? I think we had a little bit of setback with COVID. There was a lot of adaptation on the part of both students and faculty members. Um, but, you know, our best students are capable, really, of performing well at, at any university in the country. Uh, and, and we see that when they go to graduate and, you know, they're accepted into prestigious graduate and professional schools. And, of course, many of them go directly into the work world, and they seem very well prepared as well. I think there was so much change so quickly that yes. folks didn't expect. Well, we have so many meetings. It's so nice to be able to look across the table here and see you. <laughs> I have so many Zoom meetings right now uh, and all these technologies, but the, the, there's nothing like... Uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson once said that his idea of a good education was, and he named the person William Small, who was a biologist. William Small at one end of a uh, of a log, and the student at the other, and that's sort of the kind of thing that we try to replicate within the Honors College. Again, with us this morning, Dr. John Vile with MTSU. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
We have got more coming up, so make sure you stay with us, including the Commissioner Corner, which comes your way after this commercial break. Right now, the time, 827. Broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios. MTE serves members with more than just electricity. Their community outreach team works with schools, parents, and students to provide engaging and unique learning experiences. MTE serving to make life better since 1936. They have wonderful people who work here. Terry Deal, who was over in Independent. Terry was out there with her two little girls picking up limbs, and I thought, that's not part of her job. She's over. But she, that's the way she is. And that's what I found that so many of the people who work here, they go above and beyond of what their job is. I'm Terry Deal. Call me for more information about Adams Place, located at 1927 Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart. It's now time for the Commissioner Corner with County Commissioner Craig Harris. When I started doing the Commissioner's Corner, I wanted it to be thought-provoking. I wanted you to know how I felt socially, politically, and morally. There are many subjects that we can talk about, and we're going to try to talk about all of them. My relationship with God is very important to me. And in today's world that is so anti-God biased, I wanted to talk about things that influence so many people movies, and Hollywood. But my question is, what does a Christian think of Hollywood? Hollywood is more than a city in California. The word Hollywood has become synonymous with glitz and glamour, as well as the extravagant lifestyles and hedonistic philosophies of movie stars and celebrities. Love it or hate it, Hollywood exerts a vast influence on popular culture in the West and around the world. We often use the term Hollywood to refer to anything pertaining to the entertainment industry, even though other cities, such as Nashville, contribute to it also. Although there are many Christians living in Hollywood and working in the film industry, much of the entertainment produced there is completely secular. Most movies promote lavish materialism, adultery, self-worship, and sexual content. Some Hollywood movies exhibit a blatant anti-God bias. The lust of flesh, the lust of eyes, and the pride of life abound in the movies Hollywood produces. Going to the theater can be a dangerous proposition for believers who wish to keep their minds pure. Should Christians boycott Hollywood? Should they be unthinking consumers of whatever entertainment comes out? What exactly attracts us to Hollywood? Part of Hollywood's appeal is the covenant it champions. From every newsstand and television set, we are told that we should want what celebrities have. We cannot possibly be content if we are not following celebrities. Millions of the discontent gobble it up, and in their attempt to live like idols, become indebted, anorexic, and promiscuous. Hollywood is in the business of creating idols and feeding them upon us, whether we like it or not. For a Christian to become enamored with the lavish lifestyles of the rich and famous is to break God's Tenth Commandment and forfeit the contentment He wants us to develop. The lust for entertainment can replace the joy of the Lord until time with God is seen as an interruption in the pursuit of pleasure. At that point, entertainment has replaced God as the supreme delight and has become an idol. Entertainment is also wrong when we allow ourselves to be captivated by things that displease the Lord. When we excuse a movie sex scenes with it had a good message or become fans of openly immoral entertainers. As an example, Sam Smith in the Grammys who performed a demonic ritual. We are crossing a line. We are allowing Hollywood, rather than God's word, to define our values. 
If we willingly sit through acts of violence, immorality, profanity, and anti-Christian themes without it bothering us, then perhaps we have allowed the values of Hollywood to invade our lives. When we can fill our minds with vulgarities on Saturday night, yet show up for worship on Sunday morning with no awareness of the inconsistencies, we have fallen victim to the lure of the Hollywood God. If Hollywood is not reflecting the values we claim to cherish, then we must be careful how much time we spend with it. To honor God, we must compare the values coming out of Hollywood to the unchanging standard of Scripture. Then we must hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hollywood flaunts what God despises. Why do we suppose God is indifferent when a culture clamors for depiction of sin? As Christians, we are to seek after God and His righteousness. And any form of entertainment does not support that goal, our response must be to reject it. In today's world, we need more God, not less. This is Craig Harris, and this is the Commissioner's Corner. For the Commissioner Corner, that was Commissioner Craig Harris. The views of Rutherford County Commissioner Craig Harris are just that, his views. They're not necessarily the views of this radio station, website, or our advertisers. Feel free to send your thoughts and ideas to Commissioner Harris by emailing him at ccotinc at comcast.net. That's ccotinc at comcast.net. If I could talk to the animals. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City. One of the best things about coming to Animal City is the knowledgeable and caring staff. Animal City offers gift cards in any denomination. When you stop in to see us at Animal City, make sure to explore all two stories of our wonderful pets and pet supplies. This is Amanda, inviting your family to come in and do business with my family. Animal City is at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. This is Peter Demas, inviting you to enjoy a meal with our family at Demas's Restaurant. With cold and flu season here, nothing helps my family more than having the Demas's baked chicken and rice soup. It was a soup that was created by my grandmother, and we not only sell it by the cup, but we also sell it by the quart, by the half gallon, and by the gallon. So stop by any time today and bring soup to your family that may be sick or a friend that's in sick, or just to enjoy it just because it tastes so good. Demas's Restaurant. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Right now that time, 8.34. Now joining us from MTSU, Dr. Dennis Mullen, Chair of the MTSU Department of Biology. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. How are you this morning? I am doing good. Well, we hear the word STEAM and STEM a lot in today's time. So first of all, uh, what is coming up at MTSU, and uh, is it a STEAM or a STEM event, and, and what's the difference? Okay, so it's a it's a STEM event, not a STEAM event. Uh, STEAM is basically STEM with the addition of arts, art, and and certainly arts and science uh, uh, come together in a lot of really creative ways. Science is science relies on creativity, and obviously art is is a very creative discipline. Uh, but this is basically a, a science oriented camp, and. Uh, it will be on June 19th through the 23rd this summer, week-long camp, and we have six participating programs from the College of Basic and Applied Sciences that will take the campers or students and uh, expose them to the breadth of the type of research we do, type of activities we do in the College of Basic and Applied Sciences. So what are some of the events that are planned for these high schoolers who participate in the STEM camp? 
So as I mentioned, we have six participating programs. Uh, one is the Department of Mathematics, and uh, students that are participating in, in their activities will explore mathematical problem solving, taking using mathematics to solve everyday type problems, uh, using data, critical thinking skills, and addressing real world problems rather than just solving equations. And then the Department of Physics and Astronomy actually has a, a real interesting, uh, they call it Quantum Quest, which is basically where students will learn the fundamentals of quantum computing. So they're going to uh, work with quantum circuits using IBM quantum computer simulators and program with those, those simulators and learn skills related to quantum computing, which is a, a very rapidly growing uh, area in, in physics and, and computing. So what, what would this student do in the future learning quantum computing or quantum physics? I, I mean, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm a biologist. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I do know that, that quantum computing now is, is a rapidly growing area and uh, an, an avenue for programming that hasn't been open to us for very long and so it's it's a burgeoning area of of growth in computer programming but honestly it's it's outside outside my realm of knowledge as well uh, of course math is utilized in so many ways and it's seen in nature for example every single day i, I mean from dna makeups to to genetics I, I mean there's there's so much involved with math and science and, and everything really yeah, really. I'm I, like I said. I'm a biologist. My my research area has always been ecology of stream ecosystems, and uh, you know, there's so much math involved in understanding the the shape of an organism, how it relates to the physical environment that it's in, and stream ecosystems. One of the biggest uh, environmental factors is is the current. F fish have to and invertebrates have to deal with the current that's flowing in their environment and it takes uh, a lot of energy to deal with that concurrent. They, they've evolved body shapes, body sizes, and structures that help them do that. And, and that, in fact, that's what the biology aspect of this camp will be. We're going to take students out to a local stream. We'll spend the morning in the stream ecosystem sampling the fish from different habitats within the stream. And then later that day, bring them back into the lab and measure certain body characteristics and, and try to develop an understanding of how the physical aspect of the environment affects the shape of the organisms that occupy that environment. So you'll you'll be in a stream here in Rutherford County somewhere. Is it part of the Stones River, or are you all going for a creek? What are, what are you doing? It depends really on weather conditions. You know, if, if it rains a lot, we have to go to the smaller streams. But ideally, one of the best places to go is right out here at Walter Hill below the dam. There's a it's a, a it's a nice flowing habitat, and and the diversity of fish is really high in that area. And so that's, if, if the water levels are low, that's where we would go. There are places out on the Stones River, out by uh, Woodbury that we take students to. There are Thompson Lane Trailhead is also a nice place to go, and even parts of Lytle Creek. So the place we go will depend on the day. We, we want to, we'll be taking students out on three consecutive days. We'll want to go to a different area each day, and then will let kind of the weather conditions and water levels determine what that's going to be. Well, the interesting thing about that area around Walter Hill, it seems like 
that area of the river has more gar than any other area. And, and I don't know if they're alligator gar, what type of gar they are. They look pretty rough, though. They, they are, yeah. That's that's a long-nosed gar. And I have caught long-nosed gar out there, yes. Uh, they generally like the, the larger rivers. I've also caught long-nosed gar at the Thompson Lane Trailhead. Uh, so so they are in that area. And, and, and you're right. If you're not familiar with gar, they are a, a very primitive fish. Uh, the long-nosed gar has a long beak for a mouth with lots of really sharp teeth in it like a real thick heavy scales and and they're a very interesting fish i'm sure students who are not originally from this area or who didn't grow up fishing it'll be something totally new to them if and when they see one yes correct and the the other thing that that is really interesting and and most people don't see tennessee is a hot spot for darter diversity darters are are little small stream fish they live on the bottom they don't typically have swim bladders and you know they're you know up to maybe two inches long but there are over 120 130 different types of darters in tennessee streams and more darters in tennessee than really any other state in the country and darters they're really beautiful fish especially the males during breeding season get bright reds greens blues and 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 uh if you uh, just for entertainment if you're interested you could google uh breeding darters and you would see just how wonderfully diverse and and pretty these these fish are it seems like something we've seen more and more of over the years are mussels being added to that endangered in species list and people are not allowed to to get mussels out of the rivers streams or, or lakes like they used to in some areas that's correct uh, and there are a lot of issues with mussels mussels are filter feeders for the most part and a lot of the the river systems in this area due to construction activity to farming activity have higher silt loads than they historically had and and that makes it harder for bottom oriented organisms that filter food out of the water makes it harder for them to to survive so is that going to be part of the aspect of teaching as well or or will it be mainly a focus on fish and, and how their bodies i guess work with the water it'll be that it'll be really a focus on on the the relationship between the physical characteristics of the habitat and and the, the bodies of the fish we also have a, a the m teach program which is actually a minor uh in in sea bass and they're going to take students and talk to them take them through the process of teaching students this material. So MTeach is a teaching minor and it'll be really education focused, but focused on educating science and the sciences. And then the Department of Engineering, uh, Engineering Technology, will be working with uh, programmable logic controllers. So the students, last year at this camp, the students took uh, logic controllers and programmed, used them to program solar panels to track the sun over the course of the day. Rather than being static and just sitting there pointing up, the solar panels would track the course of the sun over the course of the day to enhance the efficiency of capturing energy by those solar panels. Department of Chemistry is also participating. Uh, They are looking you know, I, I want to say food science, that's, that's uh, selling them a little bit short. They're looking at uh, the amount of energy and, and composition of different types of food. And so they will measure calorie content of uh, different types of food. As, as a person that uh, instructs that program tells me, they burn things and people like to burn things. And so it's uh, the students last year had a great time exploring different 
fruit items and the amount of energy contained within those different fruit items. And again, all of this is coming up, part of the STEM count for MTSU. And that STEM count is for high schoolers, but you were saying before the show, mainly focused on what grades? So we, when we decided to put this together, we were targeting rising sophomores and rising juniors. It's certainly open to any high schooler, uh, but we thought we would target that group because those students may not well they may know that they're interested in science but may not know really which aspect of science they're interested in so we wanted to give them a broad perspective of different fields of the sciences that they could go into and also give them an idea of what MTSU has to offer within those different areas. Again, Dr. Dennis Mullen, chair of MTSU's Department of Biology with us this morning talking about the MTSU STEM summer camp coming up. And for anybody who would like to sign their student up, all you have to do is to go to mtsu.edu forward slash CBAS. And then forward slash again, C-B-A-S Stems Summer Camp PHP. And we'll put that link on our website because that's a little long to remember. It is. You know, honestly, when I, I was looking at the website this morning and I probably shouldn't say I Googled, but I Googled MTSU C-B-A-S STEM Camp and took came, me right there. Came right up. It was yes. a lot easier. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, we will post this on our website as soon as we post the podcast for this. But uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Time right now, 844. Stay with us. More news and information coming up from MTSU in just a minute. Thanks a lot. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. What do you like most about Adam's Place? You can just knock on the director's door and you can walk right in and it's very personable. We're talking with Carol Johnston. They put the residents first here. I think it's just a great place to live and I enjoy the front porch and the rocking chairs. I'm Terry Deal. Call me for more information about Adams Place, located at 1927 Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. We'll see mostly sunny skies here for this afternoon, high in the mid-50s. Southwest winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy skies, a low near 27. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Vujitsky on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 19. Good morning. They're still having the time trying to clean up this wreck on 24 westbound just past Briley. That's got traffic really slow between Harding Place and Briley coming 24 westbound, coming into town. you got all that traffic behind it uh, coming in from Rutherford County all tied up right now. They're working a weird-looking wreck over here on Ellington Parkway southbound. It's going to be right before you get down to Spring Street, closer to Cleveland, actually. Uh, Cleveland Street, 65, still a little bit sluggish at Trinity Lane, working your way down from the north. Nash Painting Services, all of Middle. Tennessee. Ask about their vapor blaster that removes paint without dust damaging the house. Log on today at nashpainting.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. 
The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Right now that time, 8.47, you're listening to WGNS, and this morning we've been talking about events at MTSU and different things involving MTSU. And now we have in studio with us this morning, Ginger Freeman, director for the MTSU Alumni Relations Office. How are you this morning? I'm great. How are you? I am good. Wonderful. So the Alumni Spring Showcase is just around the corner and you're still seeking nominations for the Distinguished Alumni Award. Yes. Or I should say plural. Yes. plural. There's more than plural. one plural. There's award. more. Yes, there's several. Yes. So tell us a little bit about this award. Um, well, our awards, we actually have several. We have our Distinguished Alumni Award, um, which is for a MTSU graduate who has really reached the highest level um, in their professional achievements, high standards of integrity and character, you know, all the things of prestige that, that we're wanting to acknowledge there. We have our Young Alumni Achievement Award, um, that one is for an MTSU graduate that's 35 years and younger. Uh, again, looking for someone who has reached that kind of pivotal moment in their career, public service, volunteer activity, it can be, encompass a lot more maybe than just career for a young alum. Um, we started about 10 years ago, our True Blue Citations of Distinction. So we have uh, a service to the university um, which is, uh, all of these, of course, are for MTSU graduates. Um, this one is the one that has given a lot, volunteering. This is not just about money, but this is volunteering for the university, being very active and involved with the university and the uh, goals and mission of, of everything that goes on at MTSU. Uh, we have one for achievement in education for an MTSU faculty member and also achievement in education for a non-MTSU faculty member. You know, we started as an education uh, school, um, so trying to look at those, we get so many nominations for folks that are teachers and educators, K through 12, but also collegiately as well, and it's kind of hard to compare that maybe to the CEO of a major company because they do such different things. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that we gave them the recognition that they deserved um, as well. So in addition to one now for military service, uh, our military service, we have such a strong veterans uh, program at MTSU, again, setting aside and recognizing them for their accomplishments as well. And there's also going to be different events that go alongside with this Distinguished Service Award and, or, or Distinguished alumni awards there's going to be stuff that goes along with it i believe uh, something going on at the art gallery at mtsu as well well for spring showcase yes we have um activities going on there's um things going on at the tard todd art gallery which for some of us older folks there uh, you know the old library um uh, we also have uh, the alumni office is hosting a coffee and conversation at Goodness Gracious here in town on April the 6th. Um, we have a webinar about for folks that maybe are going, um, thinking about changing careers uh, and hearing from an expert in our career development office. Um, theater and dance um, always has great things going on this year. Theater has a great production of Cabaret, um, which a lot of people know. Uh, 
several performances of that Thursday through Saturday, um, April 6th, 7th, and 8th. Um, so lots of things going on relative to the arts, um, athletics um, later in the week, uh, April the 15th, I think. Um, they are playing, no, April 14th. Uh, softball plays Western Kentucky, which our women's softball program is doing amazing things right now. It'd be great to have folks come out to see them. And um, MTSU men's tennis as well, um, playing Tennessee Tech and UT Southern on that Friday. MTSU is a very active university. Um, you know, and I know some universities across the state, across the country, are not as active as MTSU is, and alumni being involved in the university is is not unusual at all here. No, it is not, and it's so great to always have them back on campus. Our students like to see alums that come back to campus. It shows um, so much involvement and support for them, uh, and I think kind of sets the tone for them when they graduate, how important it is to come back uh, and let others see them be involved. It's a great way to mentor uh, for those students as well, uh, and share experiences. I was going to say it's even more important, I think, to have some of those alumni back to be guest speakers in classrooms to talk about what they did with their education. Correct, correct. Because a lot of times there are people that have jobs that our students don't even recognize that that's a possibility and they don't know what some of those options are. It's also a great opportunity to meet somebody maybe in a field where they might be looking for a job um, and is that a connection that they're able to make face-to-face and not just virtually and when you look at a university the size of mtsu and as diverse as mtsu is you literally see people in so many different categories of work after college i mean right. from music and entertainment to uh working in a biology department i Correct. mean literally everything right you know and then you've got our concrete program that is one of the leading programs in the country it's because it was the first uh you know and and very special and unique uh the college of business that puts out so many of our business students educators you know go into a school and in the middle tennessee area and i guarantee you you'd find at least 10 10 of your teachers that went to mtsu i don't know that you find that in other communities that have a local college at least i don't think other communities have a college that is as large and diverse as MTSU is. I don't think so either. Um, you know, I've, I've been here over 30 years, went to school here, have stayed and worked in different areas on campus. And, and I would agree. They, the way that we stay close by our students, once they graduate, they enjoy this Middle Tennessee area and being able to come back to campus and be involved. So working in the Alumni Relations Office, how often do students who graduated from MTSU call you back and and call you the office i guess Mm -hmm. and say you know i want to do such and such for mtsu or i want to get involved in in this capacity at the university i would say once a week once or twice a week which may not seem like much but just to get the the random call if you will of there's not something special going on but somebody just gives a call and how can i be involved what can i do um on campus, whether that's for a student, a faculty member, or is it just an opportunity to be back on campus? How can I utilize some of the services? And I guess for me, that's as important too, because they want to know what are things that are available to them to either participate in or 
give back through, even if it is nominating someone for an award, that's still engagement, that's still being involved, and that's still wanting to know about what's going on at their alma mater. Are you ever surprised by a graduate who calls you and maybe their spirit of giving is much more than what you would ever imagine or envision? Are you ever surprised or or kind of taken off guard? Yeah, because sometimes you have folks that call and haven't been on campus in years, and all of a sudden something has sparked, whether that no idea what has all of a sudden sparked um and it is a how what can i do what what sometimes it is monetary sometimes it is a what area on campus needs a gift of some sort and it in my mind that doesn't even matter how much it is but it's the fact that they've thought about it and they are being strategic even in their own mind about what program needs help or what scholarship really needs where does a student need where is the student need, I guess, is a better way to say that. And it's pretty neat that somebody thinks of whatever their idea may be and they want to be a part of it. Right, exactly. Or maybe they've even have had sometimes that their spouse went to another institution um, and they'll call and say, well, my wife or husband, their school did this. Have y'all ever done this? Sometimes we have and they just don't know it. Sometimes not. And it's Oh, good idea. Uh, do you want to help us with that? So, And then there's there's also different capacities that I guess different alumni could serve as in maybe uh, putting together a new scholarship or putting together funds that could help out another student in some way, some form. Correct. We have scholarships, so many different scholarships on campus. We have um, our alumni legacy scholarship, which is for a student, uh, a graduate, sorry, a child of a um, who has a parent or a grandparent that is a graduate Um, they can apply for that Um, there's just general scholarships there are some for programs such as uh, the ones that Dr. Uh, Mullen was talking about there are so many different scholarships on campus that folks can give to a lot happening again at MTSU, and this morning we're talking with Ginger Freeman, director of the MTSU Alumni Relations Office. If somebody wants to get involved, if they want to nominate somebody for the Distinguished Alumni Award, how do they do that? They can call our office if they want to. We're at 615-898-2922, or easiest is to go to our website, which is mtalumni.com. Uh, right in the rotator, there's going to be a place where they can click to uh, just click on it to nominate someone for an award. Uh, we also have alumni board of directors nominations. Those are in our rotator uh, spring showcase right there in the rotator, making it really easy. And they can look around for different things to be involved in. Again, with us this morning, Ginger Freeman, and we will post all the information about this and some uh, different Internet links as well on our website whenever we post this podcast shortly. So just go to WGNSRadio.com. You'll be able to see it all there. Ginger, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. I appreciate it. At time right now, 8.58. We have more news and information coming your way next. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.